Hello and welcome to the Ambassador Labs podcast, where we explore all things about cloud native platforms, developer control planes, and developer experience. I'm your host, Daniel Bryant, head of DevRel here at Ambassador Labs, and today I had the pleasure of sitting down with Katie Gamanji, a well-known technical leader within the cloud native ecosystem and the author of several popular online cloud skills training courses. Join us for a fantastic discussion covering topics such as building and supporting a Kubernetes platform at Condé Nast, the role of the CNCF in the fantastic cloud native community, and the importance of education for developers. And remember, if you want to dive deep into the motivation for and the benefits of a cloud native developer control plane or are new to Kubernetes and want to learn more in our free Kubernetes Developer Learning Center, please visit getambassador.io to learn more. So welcome, Katie. Many thanks for joining us today. Could you briefly introduce yourself and give a little bit about your background as well, please? Hello, Daniel, and thank you for having me again for this podcast. My name is Katie Gamanji, and currently I am working with the end user community within the CNCF or Cloud Native Computing Foundation. I am pretty much leading this community, but at the same time, I'm making sure to bridge the gap between adopters and the projects within the ecosystem. So actually generating that close feedback loop between these two entities. As well, I have many roles in the community. I am one of the advisory board members for Captain, which currently is a Sandbox CNCF project, but they're applying for incubation very soon. So hopefully they're going to get more adoption. Um, as well, I'm working with OpenUK to make sure that open standards are fairly used across data, hardware, and software. And another thing that I would like to mention is currently I am uh, working with Udacity to create the Cloud Native Fundamentals course. So I have many roles within the community, but the main one is focused on the end user community at the moment and the cloud native tools. Very cool, Katie. You're involved in so many things, but I like the thread of like across them, the end user focus. And yeah, we'll definitely dive more into your Udacity experience as well, because the education is such an important part of cloud native, right? As you and I were talking a little bit off mic. So I first bumped into your um, work at KubeCon Barcelona. I think it was back in 2019, wasn't it? When you yes. keynoted, like, it seems such a long time ago now with all the craziness of the world. Um, but you talked and, and explored in great detail around how Condé Nast had built their platform and the systems. So I was keen to explore that in a little bit more detail. I remember you discussed around implementing a centralized platform. And I was kind of curious, what was it like before and what was the motivations that led to a centralized platform? Right. I'm more than happy to talk about that use case because it was a great usage and implementation of cloud native. So Condé Nast is known for having a lot of um, ownership around luxury media companies, such as Vogue, GQ, Wired, which is focused on the tech aspects. And all of these brands, they were distributed in every single country. And it was different. So for example, we had GQ France and GQ Germany, GQ UK. It it was the same for, for Vogue. But the thing is, all of the websites were hosted very differently. And there was a lot of discrepancy in terms of the CMS tools, what kind of tools the editors would use to put this content online to the actual users. The other thing was discrepancy in visual and design. So even if Vogue by itself is a very well-known brand, so maybe the logo of the Vogue was everywhere the same, but when you look into the website, the there was a discrepancy in the visual and design. And that was not necessarily, let me find words, <laughs> and that was not necessarily required for a luxury brand as well. Like we want that kind of unified customer experience. But at the same time, when you looked underneath the platforms that were hosting all of these websites, they were completely different as well. And most of the time they were outsourced to third parties. So there'll be another organization or company or consultancy company taking care of some of the tools in way these websites are hosted and delivered. 
If you look at all of this, we had 32 markets at the time that we intended to migrate our content. And all of these 32 markets, they had, again, as I mentioned, very different CMS tools, visual and design, and the actual platform hosting tools. And we wanted to centralize that, to create one way, one unique way for them to create their content and deliver that to the user. So I think that was the underlying motivation looking back, yeah, three years ago. Yeah, it seems like a long time, doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's great stuff, Katie. And back then, were you looking to make the platform self-service? Because, you know, now we talk a lot about that in the cloud native space, right? Developers should be able to self-serve, deploy things Mm -hmm. on their own. Was that on the roadmap at Condé Nast back in 2019 and before? I think that came as a, a natural procedure or a process within the organization, because one thing that I should mention is... So the Condé Nast is the wider organization, but in London, we had this new entity called Condé Nast International, and it was a very small team. So it started with five people uh, and we scaled up to 60 people across 18 months. So it scaled very, very quick. But the thing is, we we started the team in 2017, late 2017, early 2018, and we had this Greenfield platform, like we had a Greenfield team. We could choose the best talent. We could choose the best team. Our mission was to create a platform that will help us to host those websites. But because it was a new team, we could really shape the culture and the way we interact with different teams and the way we collaborate as well. So I think at the time, DevOps was a very big keyword. And it was something which was very well, you know, it resonated across all of the industries and many of the communities. And I think it was one of the natural things that we adopted within the Condé Nast team as well. Very nice, Katie. Very nice. What did the dev tools look like at that time? Was it a case of you know, using your ID to create code, build a Docker container, write some Kubernetes YAML and push it up? Or was there sort of more abstractions involved there? Right. So at the time, so we're talking 2018, like this, that was like kind of the pinnacle of the work of uh, the platform creation. Kubernetes was already well known. We were in version... 1.12, maybe mm-hmm. 1.10, something like that. Like we are in, in version 1.22 now. So, you know, a couple of releases back, but at the time Kubernetes was strongly and, and firmly kind of asserting its ownership of the cloud, of the way you deploy your containers. At the beginning, we actually went with a third party service. We went with AWS and we went with the, I think it's ECS. So they had like their own container platform that you can use underneath. But then we wanted to have full ownership of the clusters, the way we deploy them. And it was cheaper, actually. Cost was another thing that we were looking into quite heavily. So we decided to have our own clusters and manage them. We had the team, we had the resources. And the thing is, we didn't have to scale to 100 clusters straight away. We just had a small cluster in Europe, and then we scaled it into, well, based on the migration process that it came in. So it was a very natural expansion. So we could start small and have the cost in mind as well. Um, so we just use from AWS, we just use the compute resources. So EC2 instances, we use the networking for our load balancers. We didn't use any storage because we our, all of our applications were stateless. So yes. if something restarts, that, that's absolutely fine. So our use case was quite straightforward, but this allowed us to really, really choose the best tooling as well. So in terms of the tools, yeah, Kubernetes was out there. Uh, in terms of the packaging of applications, you've mentioned Docker. Of course, Docker has been the main way for us to collaborate with the developer teams to prepare their application to be deployed to Kubernetes. 
so there was a, a certain amount of upskilling in that regard. But again, it wasn't something that it wasn't unknown. Docker has been on the market for many years before that. Packaging an application, having this kind of containers even running locally with Docker Compose, it was absolutely fine. It wasn't groundbreaking. So we just made sure that we have a procedure that kind of makes sense. We need an image, and with that image, we'll be able to deploy within our cluster. So that kind of bridge, we made sure that it's it's very clear and we made very clear the requirements we need to deploy an application to the cluster. Yeah, I think, yeah, kind of the fundamentals were there. I wouldn't say it was kind of, you know, completely edge adoption or like on the, the cutting edge adoption. We, we were in a good state. That's very sensible, Katie, because I think it's tempting. I've been involved in a few greenfield projects to literally be on the bleeding edge. But you pay a tax for that, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're exactly. you're often the one finding the bugs and, and committing upstream, which you know Kubernetes community is fantastic at that, sort of you know encouraging these kind of submissions. But when you've got a practical business goal to be met, you really just want to not be fighting with the underlying technologies, right? Mm-hmm. Again, like for for us, we had a very clear business goal in mind, and we had a timeline for that as well. It wasn't a hard deadline, but we had a timeline of two years: create a platform and start the migration because this would pretty much define the success of this team and Condonast International as an entity in itself. So we had a very clear business goal. And with a business, when you have a goal, you have, I mean, you have a budget, but you have to produce results with with that budget. So again, we were very driven to adopt tools that have proven to be somewhat a standard within the industry. I wouldn't say, so for example, I wouldn't say it's bleeding edge, but we were adopters of... um, we were like a core OS house. So for example, we used Tectonic, which was a a way to bootstrap your clusters. However, CoreOS was bought by Red Hat and Tectonic project was no no longer maintained unless we would fork it in house and maintain it, which no one wants to do that. So that was maybe a risque kind of adoption. At the time, CoreOS was very well known. It had, you know, it, it proven to be very established. It had roots within the community. The work they did was very, very good. And, and quality-wise, it was, you know, at the level. But, you know, with the time, with the acquisition, it moved away. So in that regard, we actually had to move to a new bootstrap provider. So there were some, some decisions that we had to reconsider throughout the time. But again, at the core, when it comes to, you know, the core platform, the way we run containers, yeah, like Kubernetes was there. <laughs> we used FullND for our logging. Yeah, we used kind of AWS, which already was was doing very well, especially when it comes to the China as well. Well, there are many aspects here because we, we had to distribute our infrastructure to China. So we had to uh-huh. use a provider that would have some presence in that region. And AWS at the time was ahead of the curve compared to other providers. So that was one of the reasons for us to choose this provider. So like there were a lot of nuances that we had to uh, take in consideration when choosing even a provider and even uh, the way we're going to manage our clusters. Very good, Katie. Yes, getting those like key um, constraints out and key requirements out early is like key to success, I think, isn't it? So exactly. one one more question on, on the platform we'll move on to. I know we want to cover education as well. Now, SRE is a big thing, right? Site reliability engineering. I'm guessing you might have been doing that back in the Condé Nast role. Like, did you call it site reliability engineering? And, and how did you, as if you were an SRE or that kind of role, how did you interact with the developers on the team? Right. This is a very good question because the way we created the SRA team was a very organic movement. 
maybe I could talk a bit more about the shape of our team at the beginning. So to begin with, we were a big team. We were around 12 engineers and all of us were focused on creating the platform. We were focused on upskilling developers, actually interacting with the development teams, doing monitoring, logging, anything realized in regards to authentication and security. Everything was done by our team. But then moving forward, we realized that if you want to have a, mig a successful migration process, we really need to have uh, people focused only on the delivery process. So how exactly do you deliver your application to the cluster? We realized that we needed a very team which is going to be fully focused on the creation of the platform and maintaining the clusters because we, we replicated our clusters in uh, five different regions at the time. So we already had around nine clusters and you had we, have, we were self-service. We need to do upgrades. We need to make sure that all of our components, like migration from KubeDNS to CoreDNS, is nice. going to happen. So we need a core, a core team as well. So the kind of the next step from this one big team doing everything, we moved into two teams. One of them was the, the core platform team, and the other one was focused on the um, application delivery. So this was uh -huh. more of like, Many people call it a DevOps kind of uh, DevOps team, but they had a lot of interaction with the developers. They made sure that the developers understand how to create Docker containers, how to interact with Circle CI when deploying their application or debugging things. They required some Terraform to bootstrap some, for example, IAM roles in AWS. All of that interaction, all of that upskilling was within that team. But then moving forward, we realized that we have a lot of infrastructure. We had a lot of components, but we don't have a lot of insights or analytics into how this platform uh, behaves. So like, is it cost efficient? Is it actually uh, solving the problems we need to solve like within the budget that we have? So I think the next organic step for us was to focus on observability. Like how are the application healthy? Are we able to identify if something went down within a, a reasonable amount of time? So as a natural step, like once we had a healthy platform, a healthy kind of collaboration between the, uh, the devs and the ops team. The next thing was to make sure that we have analytics to kind of prove and, you know, have those results or those indicators that, you know, the application is healthy. We were able to, um, to troubleshoot it or debug it in time as well. And that was kind of the first step. And this is how we created the third team, which was mm -hmm. the SRE team. Yeah, so within the SRE team, actually, uh, this was the, the latest team that was created the platform team or the platform engineering team. And they really focused on um, bringing the SLOs and SLIs and uh -huh, actually having having that, you know, metrics and indicators of this is the way we, or this is the standard we're going to run the applications in production. And this is how we're going to monitor it. And this is how we're actually going to do this throughout the way. So they really focused only on the observability aspect mainly. So yeah, I think long story short, I think it was an organic step for, for the team, but it was, again, being a greenfield team and a greenfield project, mm -hmm. yep. it was a natural step for us. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. It's a great sort of evolution. I've seen some of those things commented in the Team Topologies book. I think both you and I have mm -hmm. read that yes. one and bumped it down, right? And like Matthew yeah. and Manuel have done a fantastic job of encapsulating a lot of the learnings that you've, you've gone through and other teams like you went through and this natural kind of missing role emerged. And that, if anyone, I'll put the link uh, in the show notes because Team Topologies book has just been a guiding light for me, right? And, and really important work, I think. Yeah, and actually I delivered a talk around this and talking about this team evolution within Condé Nast. It was uh, for KubeCon San Diego, and actually I'm talking about how to create a 
micro open source community within uh, within an organization. So pretty much inner sourcing, but that was mainly focused on Helm. So how exactly the developers within our organization created PRs for our main Helm charts, which was great. Like we created a mini uh, mini open source community. And I'm talking about how this evolution of, of the team and like, you know, upskilling at the right time, making sure that you yeah. take your developers on the journey really, really helped. So, and, and I'm making reference to the team topologies as well. So yeah, I, I could uh, provide a link. So make sure to check it Please out. Please do, that'd be awesome. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like an amazing reference for folks that are going through this now, because there's so many folks that have not adopted cloud native, right? And if they can learn from folks like yourself, folks like Matthew Manuel, like it just, it's, you know, we're all going to make mistakes, but I'd rather not make mistakes that have already been made, right? <laughs> and yeah, exactly. build on build on other successes too, right? Is really important. So thanks, Katie. That's a, that's a great link. And that's a nice segue actually into the next topic I was keen to pick your brains on, because I see you on Twitter talking a lot about education, bringing folks along on the journey. You just mentioned great way of putting it. And I see you've done work around Udacity courses and other courses. Could you share the listeners a little bit about your motivations and what you've done in that space, please? I think... One of my goals within my professional side and even personal side is to make cloud native approachable or easy for everyone. Because when I when I jumped into cloud native, Kubernetes was one or two years old. I had to do Kubernetes the hard way. When I bootstrapped yeah. the cluster of two nodes, I was beyond happy. I was just ecstatic. I was like, wow, this yeah, actually nice. works. And I set up etcd as well. And I was like, oh my God. Like I have this QValue storage, which is replicating across the... I was, I was, I was <laughs> That's awesome, <happy>. right? <laughs> but the thing is, to do that, it took me a week and a half. Like, mm. I'm, I'm not joking. It took me a week and a half to, to bootstrap a cluster of two nodes. And <laughs> it was still cracking because some of the networking components were not fully kind of bootstrapped. So it, you know, it was the hard way. So I do remember when I jumped into Cloud Native, I was like, it's a great space. Already there was a growing community. And I wanted to make it easier for people like me, because at the time I, I just kind of stepped out of university. I was a grad, kind of moved into my mid-level position. I was like, okay, let's do this. But then I realized it's, it's still difficult. So I wanted to kind of being fresh out of uni, I wanted to make it easier for students to, to do nice. cloud native as well. So I think my underlying motivation is like, if we use the kind of the cloud native, one of the cloud native missions is to make cloud native ubiquitous. Brilliant. So pretty much, you know, approachable by everyone. So when I collaborated with Udacity, this was my core motivation. Make it easier for someone with little um, programming experience. Like all you need is maybe to write like a hello world in Python. And even that is not necessary because the code is provided. But for example, if you are a, a programmer and you want to move to cloud native or you are a student, usually do programming within your computer science degree, mm -hmm. or there are so so many workshops, um, free workshops that you can do yeah. nowadays, which Great. allows you to, to write that hello world um, function. So taking these personas to understand how exactly they can package an application, how can they deploy to Kubernetes, how can they automate the delivery process using a CI CD, how they can use even a pass if, for example, mm. they don't need to manage the infrastructure, but there is a service, how they can do so. So I'm taking them on a journey, like literally step-by-step step. Nice. and being very, very declarative. I, I'm very, very keen to create a story throughout the way and just making sure that they, you know, they follow through. And yeah, by the end of the course, pretty much everyone should be able to, to use Docker. Uh, they will understand, they, they will even look into how to use Cloud Foundry as a pass. Oh, I saw that on the, like on the curriculum. <laughs> I thought Cloud Foundry, interesting. Yeah, well, it's, I know it's, you know, a project which is not very used out there, but it's, 
again, it's to showcase that there is a solution for that. If yeah, you want to right. manage your containers application, you can do that with a, with, with a pass solution if you choose. So, so it was more for, for demonstrations. Like what I'm trying to translate is the fundamentals because nice. the fundamentals are going to always going to be the same. You want something that is packaged. You want something that is scalable. You can deploy automatically. So all of these principles, they are throughout the entire they're going to learn how to use Argo. They're going to learn how to yeah, use Yeah, brilliant. They, they will learn how to use GitHub, GitHub Actions for the CI part to actually package an application automatically. They will deploy their clusters using K3S. So, you know, there is a lot of, of, of good tooling that many of our professionals in cloud native community are using. So by following this course, they will, they will be in a good, good position to hopefully look for a job and will contribute to cloud native. Perfect. That kind of perfect bootstrapping course for bringing mm -hmm. folks along and i guess is the core audience katie folks that are completely new to cloud or is it also applicable to folks that say you know our enterprise programmers java.net springs to mind right 20 years super experienced mm -hmm. and, they're, and they're new to cloud is it for both the, the new new folks and the new old folks and I'm, i consider myself an old folk i would say <laughs> it's definitely for anyone so anyone who's trying to understand what cloud native is and what what to make out of cloud native pretty much like why exactly it's it's an important domain and how to how to get you know how to get into it one of the messages that i am kind of highlighting at the beginning and the end of the course is that cloud native it's about the tooling but more importantly it's about the community as well mm -hmm. because once you get within this space i think it's it's very important to get to know your your folks or get to know the maintainers of the ah, project that you're using or yeah maybe try to be one of the contributor if you have time and if you have the resources that's extremely valuable mm. so just try to reach out and this is a message that i'm highlighting quite quite you know intensely at the beginning at the end because technology is great but the community around cloud native it's what it really makes it great so i hope this is uh, a key message that you know the students will, will take it across very well said katie because it's, it's such a challenge and it's probably a separate podcast to talk about OSS and I've worked on teams that you know didn't want to contribute and we were using OSS and I was like it only seems mm -hmm. the right thing to do right and it's you know it's a, it's a can of worms but I think if you look at successful projects like you and I were talking off mic around Linux as an example right like how you know Linux it, obviously there's a different sort of model of, of ownership around that but so many folks have contributed and arguably a lot of the work in Linux has set the foundations for the cloud and beyond right Mm -hmm. 100%. So this is actually a very kind of good thought or set of thoughts that I had, you know, a couple of months ago since Linux turned 30. Yeah, so yeah. I was actually thinking because Linux itself is open source, but it's been on the market for 30 years <laughs> and open source has been, has been there and slowly gaining, you know, momentum. And I think now it's, it's, I think one of the the climax points with cloud native where open source is very well valued. Open source is in so many organizations, I think. There is like not one industry that hasn't been touched by by right. open source or Kubernetes, or like they're using Prometheus or they're using other tools. Like it's it's amazing to see like the how overarching this you know ecosystem has become so far. And with Linux, like what it actually did, it set the fundamentals of how to contribute to upstream. So that transparent environment and, and govern environment as well it wasn't like i can do anything and just like be rude yeah. to everyone it, it 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 was very well structured but at the same time it was open so if you had time you had resources you can contribute and everyone would build up on top of that and these fundamentals they were they were set for like these 30 years and they were very easily very easily transferred to to cloud native and on top of that 
we put the cloud native mission and principles. So what exactly cloud native is? It's about automation, resiliency, scalable, dynamic, observable. Like there are so many things that you can, you can define cloud native as, but they were built on top of this you know, freedom to commit to upstream, mm -hmm. govern and transparent environment, collaboration between different organizations and, you know, different industries. So I think it was, it had a very good foundation to begin with. And maybe that's why it's such a success today. And to begin, like, if you're thinking about the, the time frame, cloud native or Kubernetes has been donated seven years ago. Yeah. Seven years yeah, ago. Yeah. That's seven years ago. That's like, it's, it's not that much. Like, but if you're looking into, the um, again, like the amount of industries and sectors it's reached, it's, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. But again, I think this has been possible because this foundation of open source and how can you contribute has been already laid down, and you would be able to just build on top of that with with the missions and the principles that I've mentioned before. So, yeah, I think it was it, it's a great achievement for the for the Linux community. So, 30 years, it, it's a great anniversary. So, I'm looking forward for the cloud native community to reach. The same yeah. yeah, at some point. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And what you were saying there, I remember chatting to Matt Klein a few years ago about Envoy, and he said he couldn't have dreamed of assembling the team of people that ultimately worked on Envoy into a company because just there's different conflicts, different things people want, right? But to your point, open source, like you can work for different companies, but we're all mm -hmm. contributing to the same mission. And I remember like Matt's done many stories around to the birth of Envoy and I can see many other successful CNCF projects in that space too right? You mentioned the, the, the dream team and I think like an open source team is the dream team because exactly. you have people from <laughs> everywhere but the thing is it's not just like 10 people it's thousands of people yeah. like this is the thing and what is important about this thing like all of these thousands of people with different perspective ideas maybe prospects for the tools or how they want to use it they come together and they contribute and it's it, it's amazing because you have this extremely diversified input and this creates uh, a momentum when it comes to the tooling that cannot be replicated anywhere else so this is the thing with kubernetes and maybe that's why it has been so powerful so far because the the kubernetes community and everyone who contributes at the moment and there are like more than four thousand authors every single year contributing to it you cannot replicate that momentum and that contribution velocity in an organization with Agreed. all of the resources you have. You won't be able to reach that within the same time frame. We're talking again, like let's even put seven years. If you try to create a new container orchestration as powerful as Kubernetes in seven years with the same success, I think that's going to be nearly impossible. Like even if all of the budget you have, like I'm talking, <laughs> if you want to recreate that internally within your organization. So yeah, I think it's yeah the dream team. Like it's it's. It's a journey that never really ceases to amaze me. I'm going to be honest. It's, it's just truly, truly amazing to observe how it grows and the, the rate at which it grows as well. Agreed. Okay. Every time I go to like a KubeCon, uh, I'm humbled, right? The amount of oh folks, goodness, new yeah. and old there, and the contributions, <laughs> yeah. the innovation, like, oh, it's just, it's epic, right? <laughs> well, yeah. KubeCon is definitely one of my favorite places to be. I mean, well, again, I'm, I'm a bit biased because when I joined Cloud Native, I had a chance to join one KubeCon. It was in Seattle. And actually, I applied for the Diversity and Inclusion Scholarship. So yeah, I cool. actually like, somehow got the budget for, for traveling there because my organization at the time would not, would not have the budget for it. So it kind of happened. The stars were aligned. Let's put yeah, it this way. But when I, when I joined, it was one of my first conferences as well. When I joined and I saw 5,000 people and this ginormous stage with like the Kubernetes logo lighted up, I was like, wow, this yeah. is definitely <laughs> bigger than I imagined. And it was in 2018, like December 2018, three years ago. Feels like thousands of years ago, honestly. <laughs> but that was 
again, like seeing this community, interacting with people throughout, like I knew no one. I was my, my first time in Seattle. I knew not literally. And I was just at the beginning of my journey with Cloud Native. But seeing how welcoming it is and, you know, the potential of people just to interact and create ideas out of nothing. Like yeah, you yeah. have a coffee and you, or you chat yeah, between sessions totally. and you have, you know, you have maybe a new role, a new position that you can do, <laughs> yeah, or you yeah. have a new project to contribute. Yeah, it, yeah. it just happens within seconds. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And I wanted to be part of that since then. So, yeah, I think, yeah, community aspect, it's, it's quite important and, yeah, a very big part of Cloud Native. Perfect. Okay, this has been some amazing comments. I know we're getting close to time here. Yes. Is there any final uh, comments or any final things you're working on you want to share with the listeners at all? Yeah, absolutely. So currently I am working on the KCNA exam or cloud native KCNA exam or Kubernetes and cloud native associate certification, um, which is undergoing the beta testing stage and is going to be released quite soon in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to be GA. So you'll be able to purchase it and actually take the exam. So I have been leading the creation of this exam and what is it focused on is, again, to be more beginner-friendly and inclusive. Because if you look into the uh, CNCF certification, you have CK, um, Certified Kubernetes Application Developer, or uh, CKA, Certified Kubernetes Administrator, and CKS, which is the Security Specialist. I'm not going <laughs> to decide for all of them. But they are very advanced certifications, and if anyone took them, you actually have a terminal in front of you and you mm -hmm. actually need to interact with the cluster to produce the right results or to write the right results. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have that hands-on experience with this, it's going to be nearly impossible to, to pass these exams. So the feedback from the community was to create something which is more beginner-friendly. And we created this associate exam that is multiple choice. You're going to have um, a set of 60 questions to solve in one, one hour and a half, so 90 mm -hmm. minutes. It's focused mainly on Kubernetes, so the Kubernetes fundamentals. Do you understand what is a container? Do you understand what's a pod? Do you understand what's the relation between a replica set and a deployment? Mm -hmm. What are volumes? We're gonna so all of these things are gonna be within the Kubernetes space, but we have Kubernetes and cloud native. So we will explore some other principles within the ecosystem and other tools. So we're gonna touch upon observability with yeah. Prometheus. We're gonna talk about GitOps. We're going to talk about Helm. We're going to talk about some of the storage providers such as Rook. So again, oh, like it's, it's kind of trying to cover the extensive understanding of the, the landscape as well. So again, it's, it's multiple choice, but you still need to decide to take it. So it's not going to be, you know, kind of completely easy and you can do it with, with one breath. You really need to understand those core principles within Kubernetes and cloud native. So yeah, the feedback so far is great. We had 500 slots for our beta testers which were filled within half an hour <laughs> nice. after it was announced at the KubeCon <laughs> keynote. I was amazed. I was like That's actually awesome. watching the numbers go down, like in terms of the spots we have available. So the, the feedback so far has been great. And I'm looking forward for this to be GA and see how it will impact mm. the, the student community and anyone Ooh, new to Cloud Native. Mm. Yeah. Awesome stuff, Katie. Always enjoy chatting to you. We could talk for hours, right? I, I'd learn so much from you. So, but <laughs> I, know. I really appreciate all your, all your sharing of, of wisdom and knowledge there. And yeah, we'll see you again soon. Thanks so much, Katie. Thank you very much for having me, Daniel.